Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host and producer of the show, and our topic today is Racism, Spiritual Practice, and Compassionate Right Action. I'm here today with our guest, Reverend Priya Friday Pabros, a black woman and a senior Kriya Yoga teacher. Reverend Priya Friday Papros is the spiritual director of Thrive Kriya Yoga Meditation Center in Middletown, California, which is affiliated with the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. Reverend Priya was initiated into Kriya Yoga by her spiritual teacher, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, in 2002, and Reverend Priya was ordained to teach in 2005. She earned a Master of Divinity degree from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in 2004 with a focus on music ministry. She's a senior Kriya Yoga teacher and associate minister with the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. You can learn more about Reverend Priya and her work at at the Thrive Kriya Yoga Meditation Center at her website, meditateandthrive.com. And that is such a great website name, meditateandthrive.com. So welcome, Reverend Priya. I'm delighted to have you as a guest on the show. Well, thank you so much. It's a joy to be here with you all. Mm-hmm. So before we begin our dialogue about racism, spiritual practice, and compassionate right action, let's start by just bringing ourselves fully present, just taking this time out of our busy days and our busy lives, and just being here now. Oh. let's begin by just feeling our bodies in space whatever we're doing there are surfaces that are supporting us perhaps we're sitting we can feel the places that our body rests in the chair our feet perhaps on the ground when we're walking our feet are still on the ground so just feeling our bodies in space noticing our senses noticing whatever is in our visual field Notice if we're hearing anything. Is there, if there is a smell in the air, if there's a, um, any air movement or just feeling the air on our skin. Just centering. And then bringing our attention to the breath. 
Just noticing as we take a fully conscious breath as we inhale and exhale. Not trying to change the natural flow, just noticing. And on the next inhale, feeling the cool air in the nostrils. And on the next exhale, feeling the warm air flowing out. Just resting right in the present moment. And as we rest here, here's something to contemplate, taken from Yogacharya O'Brien's Book of Inspirations, Living for the Sake of the Soul. True worship is to realize God by actualizing the divine qualities of discernment, compassionate, I'm sorry, compassion and justice, to refuse to compromise ourself, to know, to do what we know we should do, to hear what our heart says yes to, what we know is right. True worship is to realize God by actualizing the divine qualities of discernment, compassion, and justice, to refuse to compromise ourselves, to do what we know we should do, what we hear our hearts say yes to, what we know is right. So once again, Reverend Priya, welcome to the Yoga Hour. Again, I'm just really delighted to have you here and be able to discuss this important topic with you. So at what point in your own life did you discover race? Well, you know, I wouldn't say I discovered race. I'd say it was more like race discovered me, really. Mm. I think as children, we don't really see ourselves as different from one another. We we're discovering our world, you know, and learning how to get our needs met, testing boundaries, being really bold and just throwing ourselves into relationships with one another and our world. You know, my father, um, he worked for the airlines as a sky cap. He was handling luggage at JFK in New York, where I was raised. And he met people from all over the world. And we spent a lot of time in the airport. So I first became aware of culture, really, you know, culture. Mm. As I watched people from around the world come and go, but then when I was at school, the way we were being categorized and socialized by race was something I truly became aware of. Mm. So, you know, I was bussed out of my neighborhood to a mostly white school as part of the effort to desegregate schools in New York in the 60s and early 70s. And I think that's really when race and racism found me. And one incident that stays with me to this day is, you know, I was in third grade. Mm-hmm. And I don't really remember what one of us did, the black kids, I mean, what one of us did or hadn't done. I think one of us didn't have our homework. Mm-hmm. And then the, the teacher stood us up and began to speak about why we weren't fit for the school, how we didn't have proper upbringing, bad oh parents. My- 
And, oh my gosh. You know, like we were wild animals at home or something. And mm. it was so harmful. Mm. But I had parents who instilled in us a strong sense of our worth. And that was true, you know, for a lot of black kids I grew up with. And we were very aware. So we marched home and we told our parents what had been done to us and what was said. And my mom called a meeting with the principal of the school and thoroughly read them, demanding the discipline of the teacher and make it right. And I feel I was fortunate in that way. So this painful memory also includes an empowering memory. Wow. So as you were becoming aware or as race was discovering you, as you said, um, you probably became more aware of conditioning, conditioning regarding race, and perhaps were able to compare that with your white friends' conditioning about race. So did you have any experience like that? Oh, yes. (laughs) You know, by the time I was in my teens, venturing out on my own and coming into myself, I started to travel into what I I guess were uh, multi-ethnic spaces. But my white friends, who were almost more, always more well-off than I was, they they mostly decided where we went when we were together. Um, They declined invitations to our house parties and only invited me to select activities with them. But I was on a road trip in my early 20s with a friend who was white across the East Coast. And I remember stopping in a gas station in what was to me the deep south for black folk. That means racist country. And uh, through the majority of the trip, it was really apparent to me that he was just simply carefree the whole time. Mm -hmm. He had no fear, no concerns. He had free access to everything. He was accessing his privilege at every turn. So we stopped at a gas station and he was doing something, pumping gas or checking oil or whatever. And he asked me to go inside and buy something. And I said, no, Mm. do you know where we are? I'm black, I'm not subjecting myself to that and certainly not alone. Wow. He didn't understand, he argued with me. We argued the rest of the way because Mm. he didn't get it and I couldn't explain it. And I was afraid for myself and for him, but I really became aware of how my white friends could float freely anywhere they wished without any concern. And I was uncomfortable a lot of the time in white spaces, in school, And one thing that was glaring for me was that the privileges afforded to my white friends and how open the world was for them, it shaped their hopes and dreams. Mm. And how the lack of privileges afforded to people of color made us smaller somehow. Right. Even with my supportive upbringing. Mm. Well, speaking to myself, and I, I guess I would say I did not consider myself to be naive about the fact that there was racial injustice in this country, but I literally have been shocked. Um, and what I, one of the things I would say is thank goodness for cell phone and cell phone videos, mm-hmm. because the rest of us have become so much more aware 
of what is going on out there through that media. I mean, all of these innocuous activities, one that you just pointed out, going into a gas station store to buy something, but, you know, so many others, um, being at a, a swimming pool, being in a in a common room at a dorm, uh, bird watching in Central Park. I mean, I could just go on and on. There's been yeah. so many um, just, you know, shocking in a way, experiences that the rest of us have become aware with over the last, not just, I mean, it's been intense over the last few months, obviously, since the George Floyd, you know, killing. But before that, it had been going on, you know, because of the cell phone, because of cell phone videos. So this is a, um, this is an amazing time and an opportunity for us to really heal. And one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the show, actually, we, the whole production staff really wanted to have you on the show, is that we share our roots in Kriya Yoga. We've both been longtime students of Yogacharya O'Brien. So how has your spiritual practice supported you in dealing with these issues? Well, top of the list is how my meditation practice has helped me. Um, meditation has helped me to see clearly to settle the whirling thoughts and my emotions so I can remember and witness actually what is lasting and true. Touching into my peaceful center, communing in God. This supports me in staying grounded and focused, helps me manage my anger and my fear. Helps me access my compassionate nature, which is so important right now, to activate self-love, cultivate balance, and find joy in the midst of the challenges. The peace of meditation truly is a refuge, mm. and it helps me to remember myself mm. and counter all of this uh, stuff yeah. coming into my mind and experience. Yeah. So were there any other incidents of racism that you wanted to share with us this morning, just as an example, examples from your own life and maybe a bit about, you know, practice and how that's helped you deal with them? Well, you know, what I'd like to share, which is that recently I, I've been working with a group of colleagues around issues of racial justice. And when I was first confronted with this question, what really came up so strongly for me before I could even form an answer was that so much of my experience of racism had not been verbalized until now. You know, I, um, I don't think I had ever really been asked this by a person, by a white person before, really. Mm. You know, what's your experience of racism? No one's ever asked me that. Mm. So, you know, all my life I've lived in a racialized society and molded my behavior to that racialization. For, you know, for example, keeping my hands out of my pockets in a store to avoid being stopped and, you know, not getting service, um, having white people around me get served before me, you know, all these kind of things. It just feels like so much and too pervasive in a life to even expect anyone who hasn't experienced it to meaningfully take it in. Mm -hmm. So I'm so grateful that, you know, people are trying. 
mm-hmm. especially white people, are trying to um, take this in. But to put it simply, my experience has been in many ways devastating and certainly painful. And mm-hmm. I don't know what more I could really mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Well, that those have been great examples. And the thing that's been interesting to me is, of course, the white privilege. It's like a fish being in water, of course. Mm-hmm people who have it, it's difficult to see is it's all around us. And that's what I was meaning about, thank God for the cell phone videos, because we can, it has made it visible. And it also has brought, um, for me, and I know many others has brought our own emotions to the fore of our guilt of not, you know, of not noticing that. And as I said before, you know, I didn't think I was naive, but, but I really, God, I've been really naive about about the level and the pervasiveness, you know, of um, what you've had to deal with, it sounds like, your whole life. So there's a lot that goes along with that, a lot of um, my own emotions that I have to deal with about guilt and, you know, shame and that sort of thing, to be able to even talk about it. But I, I do see the potential of this moment, of this moment of honesty and clarity and uh, consciousness, you know, it really obviously is in many, many people's consciousness now. And so there's a real opportunity for healing at a much deeper level than we've had in this country before. Would you agree? Yes, I would certainly agree. Mm-hmm. It is a quite a moment in time for all of us. So as I mentioned, you and I have been students of Kriya Yoga with Yogacharya O'Brien for many, many years. And one of the lovely things about the Kriya Yoga teachings is how supportive they are of racial justice. So Mm -hmm. yoga's foundational teaching is that despite outward appearance, we are all one, that there is one power, one presence, one absolute reality, one supreme consciousness that is the source and substance of all that is. So that is a wonderful bedrock teaching to have because it it makes us aware of the necessity for working to change the parts of the world that are not that way now, that are not in alignment with that now. Kriya Yoga also has ethical principles called yamas, and we are going to spend a lot more time in the second half of the show on the yamas. But the main one, and one that people are familiar with, is, is the Sanskrit word is ahimsa, And the English translation um, people are probably most familiar with would be nonviolence. It's the basic principle. Ahimsa was the basic principle for both Gandhi and for Dr. Martin Luther King, for Cesar Chavez. So this is a wonderful history that we have with this principle of ahimsa. And in addition to uh, nonviolence, it also means Uh, compassion and kindness. So how does the teaching of yoga, this oneness teaching of yoga, help address the issue of racial injustice? Well, the spiritual teaching that we come from one source and that God or supreme consciousness is all that is, if we believe that, we can honor that essence in everyone. 
So that is truly supportive at this time. Um, we can have reverence for all of life, our brothers, our sister human beings, and the truth that this is makes it possible to acknowledge that even those who have forgotten that, or maybe never even considered that, are also to be revered. Mm. It doesn't mean that we ignore or excuse harmful behavior. It means that we acknowledge our oneness and work toward actualizing it in any way we can. And also when we consider that suffering, that is the result of racial injustice, holding the view that we're all one, we can have deep empathy, compassion really. Mm -hmm. Feeling into the suffering of our neighbor compels us to work to end that suffering. Oh, it's really, you put that in a lovely way. Thank you. So I did want to point out that Ahimsa is the first of the 10 ethical principles, the yamas and the niyamas, but we're really focusing on the yamas today, um, that really come out of Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, which were written, it's a little bit of of, um, variability of what people think the time frame was, but certainly thousands of years ago. (laughs) Um, And I wanted to point out that, of course, this oneness teaching that we have talked about that's the root of this ahimsa, this nonviolence, compassion and kindness, as you as you pointed out, it's it's there at the root. So how does this ethical principle of ahimsa help us address the issue of racial injustice? Well, you know, ahimsa is the companion of truth Mm. and what we're up to in this pursuit of racial justice is really truth telling and if we Mm. can do it with um, without harm if we can use ahimsa as our guide and do this work in a nonviolent way uh, that's that's what we want emotions are so raw right now our wounds are so deep and the urgency is so great because people of color are dying people are truly suffering Mm-hmm. But we have to forge ahead lovingly, I think, to make meaningful progress. Mm-hmm. That I was that's inspiring the way that you just said that, forging ahead with love. So can you say more about that? <laughs> I can. So um, the teachings say that one who is established in ahimsa breaks the cycle of doing harm to others. Mm. And, you know, as I've been contemplating my feelings as we are just digging deep in this, um, these issues of race and and trying to work with one another toward a better future for us all, I know I must include myself Mm. in this harmlessness practice. So for me as a black woman who definitely has experienced internalized racism, Mm. I use this practice to change the way I think about myself and myself moving through the world. I I offer compassion to myself as I grieve what I've lost and suffered living in a racist society. I offer compassion for myself as I seek to transform my anger into positive action. And I can practice a peaceful pause 
I would say, before I respond to someone who's, um, as I've heard it said, running their racism at me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can have meaningful exchange. And even if I'm the only one practicing kindness and compassion in mm. the exchange, my peace has the potential to disarm others, to bring right. peace into the environment, to calm the one I'm with. I'm transforming myself into a more peaceful, present human being. And that energy can be shared. And that is powerful. Mm. Mm, lovely. Really just lovely. So that pause that you were talking about, that's so important. That when we are in a situation, something is coming at us, whatever it is, that ability to pause for me is so directly connected to my own meditation practice. You know, when my meditation practice is regular, when it's steady, when it's, you know, deep, that opens that space for me. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to kind of reiterate what you said earlier, which is the importance of your own meditation practice. I and mean, the reason that I think you and I are so drawn to meditation and to trying to have a steady practice is we see the difference in ourselves. And probably get feedback from others around us. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, thankfully. (laughs) And our own and noticing in ourselves, like when I, my meditation practice, I'm busy or whatever, and I've kind of gotten off track a little bit. And then I'll notice myself reacting more to triggers. Not, and I, and I think it's a good, this, this distinction between reacting and responding. So reacting is that knee jerk thing that we just get thrown into (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like someone tapped on our patellar tendon and the knee just goes, you know, just like we are responding before you're reacting rather before you even think about it, but responding, being able to have that pause and stay centered and respond in a different way is so powerful. Yes. Yes. Mm. And with that, unbelievably, we've come to the close of the first segment You're listening to the Yoga Hour with our special guest today, Reverend Priya Friday-Pabros. You can learn more about her work at her website, meditateandthrive.com. You can also follow her on Facebook at Thrive Kriya Yoga Meditation Center. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of the show. When we come back from the break, we'll explore more about racism, spiritual practice, and compassionate right action. We'll be right back. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, living the eternal way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back from the break. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, and I'm here with senior Kriya Yoga teacher, Reverend 
Priya Friday Pabros. So Priya, um, many of us who are on uh, the spiritual path of all races are struggling with our part in racial injustice. And I wanted to return. We started to talk about the Yamas earlier on. So um, I wanted to return and talk about some of the other five Yamas. uh, We talked about Ahimsa. um, But the the Yamas in general are the specific tools from Kriya Yoga that help us live in harmony with our soul nature. And in the Yamas, in the instance of the Yamas, help us to um, understand how to act ethically in the world, how to have right action in the world. So these yamas are, are um, five principles, as we mentioned. Ahimsa is the first one that help us to live in harmony with the spiritual laws of nature and to also enhance our relationships. Um, Paramahansa Yogananda said, the laws of life can teach us to live in harmony with nature and all aspects of life. When we know what the laws are and conduct ourselves in accord with them, we experience lasting happiness, good health, and perfect harmony. So let's, we we really talked quite a bit about Ahimsa in the first segment. We talked about its root in in the oneness teachings of yoga. And the next one that you referred to, excuse me, the next of the yama is about truthfulness, being truthful. And that's not only about not telling lies, but it's also about realizing the absolute truth of our being. When you experience the absolute truth of, of our being as divine consciousness, that that is really who we are, we can also understand the concept of relative truth. So will you say more about that, about absolute truth, relative truth, and how that supports our actions to address racial injustice? Yes. Um, One thing that has come to the forefront of my awareness lately is the practice of inquiry into truth around racialization. Mm. You know, as our teacher has taught me, truthfulness practice is supported by a very simple observation that truth is universal, truth is one, Mm. truth is not conditional. So if something is true, it is always true and applies to all, right? Right. So simply put, and this has just been something I've been rolling around in my mind for quite some time now, is that race as a determination of human worth doesn't stand up to the scrutiny. Race Mm. does not alter a human being in any way other than appearance. Mm -hmm. So I could say it's a myth. I could say it's not true. Mm. That said, we still have to do the work to reveal this untruth as it is embedded in our society. Exactly. The uh, The fact that we've all bought into this untruth is doing great harm. And that's the truth we need Mm -hmm. to address. So we commit to speaking the truth about it and about any part we may have played in upholding this untruth. And I would say that we know the ultimate truth. I mean, we know it in our being. Mm -hmm. 
that you and I are essentially no different other mm -hmm. than the way that we've internalized our experiences or the way that we look. Mm -hmm. And if we can start there, we can start to unravel this nonsense that we've been mm -hmm. telling ourselves about, mm -hmm. right? You know, one of the other things that I wanted to point out and maybe ask for your perspective about is the relationship between these two principles that we've talked about so far. So there's ahimsa, there's harmlessness, and then there's truth, truthfulness. And sometimes there's a conflict, you know, between the two where being truthful in a way can be harmful, you know, to someone. So um, I haven't thought about this in particular about race, but I just wondered maybe what your experience about that has been. Yes. Um, at this time, we've, we've had to deal with so much, and everyone is so tender. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. But... In telling our truths, if we don't anchor ourselves in the intention to do, to not do harm, then um, telling truth can really um, do the exact opposite of what we intend to do, which is to come together in, in uh, you know, at the heart, right? Mm. Hopefully, hopefully that's our intention. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But if, if we're rooted in uh, the intention to do no harm, no matter what truth we're speaking, that intention comes through and our words don't carry harm with them. Mm -hmm. Do you get what I'm saying? That, that's, and that's how I see that. Yes. That's a great, that's a great point. So turning to the third yama mm. out of five, the third of these ethical principles after ahimsa and after asteya or um, truthfulness, I'm sorry, asteya is um, the one we're going to talk about now after satya, which is truthfulness, mm -hmm. asteya uh, or uh, non-stealing. Um, how do you see that yama in light of the discussion we're having today, in light of the issues that are going on in today's world about race? It's mm, a good question. Well, this, the need, I, I see it as a need to hold back others as part of this um, uh, stealing or taking from others is rooted in a sense of lack. Mm. A belief that there's not enough for everyone. Yes. But in the yoga view, and in reality, there is enough for mm -hmm. everyone. And we, when we witness what appears to be like a limitation in supply, what we're really witnessing is a distribution problem. You've probably heard that before. Right. But each of us is a part of the divine distribution system. So our generosity and um, 
sharing of prosperity, energy exchange, all this is built into this realm. So the very fabric of nature is a fabric of existence. Life prospers itself, life prospers. And when we cooperate with that, we can witness this free flow of energy that meets all needs on time and in abundance. Mm. So furthermore, appreciation and encouragement of the divine gifts and talents of everyone without competition or possessiveness that blocks access to opportunities to some and not other. When we're all allowed to um, and encouraged to flourish and contribute for the global good. Now, who doesn't benefit from that? Tell me who would not benefit from that? <laughs> yes. We can all succeed together if we cooperate with and appreciate one another. Right. So you point out that the root of stealing, the root of, in a broad sense, taking something that's not ours, and this is a very, very broad principle as an example um, that Yogacharya gave in one of my first classes with her, even when we speed, you know, we're speeding along the highway, you know, if we're using um, more gas than we should, then that's potentially stealing from, you know, future generations. So it's really very, very broad and deep, this, this idea of, of non-stealing. Um, and again, also that you pointed out the root of problems with that is this fear and mm -hmm. feeling that you don't have enough. And I was just going to tie it back around to meditation because when you are in meditation, there is a direct connection with that abundance. Yes. And it's easier to remember if you meditate on a regular basis. It's easier to keep track of that mm -hmm. and to remind yourself when you're feeling a lack that really that's not true. Right. There's nothing missing. We're whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. So the next, the fourth of the five yamas is the right use of our energy or vital force. So particularly when we look at one of the, one of the um, things that we mentioned in the title of this episode is compassionate right action. It's compassionate right action. So of course we want to do that. We want to have compassionate right action and we also need to honor this principle of the right use of vital force. So why, what relationship do you see there? What relationship between the right use of vital force and this question of how we respond to racism do you see? Well, you know, we're, we're in this human life to awaken, right? To the truth of our being as emanations of the one life, the infinite, and our life force is in service to that high goal. Right. So in this life, we find infinite opportunities to engage in thoughts and activities and relationships that can lead us away from that goal mm. or carry us forward toward that goal. And the primary factor, I think, that determines whether we're heading in the right direction is whether what we're spending our vital force on, our energy, whether that's serving that goal of awakening. 
and not just for myself, but awakening for everyone, mm. serving you know the highest good. And the factor that determines the highest good is whether it serves all. That which serves the good of all, not some, but all, not just me, not just you, but everyone. Mm. And I think that's how we determine right action. Yes. Yeah, no, that was that was a great encapsulation of the like, explanation of that. That's great. So then we come to the fifth principle of the yamas, which is non-attachment, non-grasping. Aparigraha is the Sanskrit word. So maybe that's the most challenging right? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because we see as you said the ways the world is not in harmony with the truth not in harmony with the truth that we are all one that we are all equal um, and we take action and obviously there's been action that's been going on for quite some time um, that in some ways has made things better and in other ways has, has not, um, you know, in the, some ways, nothing's changed. Some ways things have gotten worse. So what, do, how do you hold that? How do you hold non-attachment when we have these bigger goals of, about our realizing, waking up to the racism that's inherent in our society? How do we hold that non-attachment? Well, you know, attachment is, uh, is a barrier, I think, to um, a free flow of energy and also to um, engaging fully. So non-attachment to outcomes, to our own views, to how others see us can help us engage ourselves fully in this process to, to really understand and overturn conditioning, the conditioning that is racism we can, I think, free ourselves from all beliefs and untruths that are told to us by others and by our own self-talk. But most importantly, I believe being unattached to how swiftly, this is for me, how Mm. swiftly this movement changes this deep pattern or groove in the karmic history of our nation, that will help us. We have to be prepared to make mistakes mm. and not give up on one another. Yeah. So um, one of my favorite sayings from the spiritual activist Howard Thurman is that we must tarry together. So he said we must be in it together, as difficult as it must be, just holding the space for transformation and not letting go until the healing starts and not being attached to what we want to see and when we want to see it. Yes. Which is difficult. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> because as I said, it's uncomfortable. You know, yes. it, it raises a lot of negative feelings and the tendency is, gosh, it'd be nice to just stuff that back on the rug. <laughs> the rug you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So sticking with it and 
acknowledging the negative feelings when they come up. And the one thing that you mentioned when we were talking about ahimsa, I thought was so important, the self-compassion. Yes. The self-compassion. And then this last one, this non-attachment. So would you like to add anything about <laughs> the need for self-compassion as we practice this non-attachment? And... Um, taking care of ourselves. Well, I just like to restate that we have to really apply self-compassion in that we are going to make mistakes. You know, none of us know what the heck we're doing right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, this is all um, such an amazing time for transformation and we know that not just around this, but transformation of consciousness in the collective is, is quite challenging. Yeah. So if we can have compassion for self, then we can keep coming back again and again to do this tough work. Mm. Absolutely. So for someone who's new to these teachings about the yamas, Incorporating all of these five principles into our life may seem daunting. So do you have any suggestions for those who are new on the Kriya Yoga path, who want to live a life that is in harmony with the self, with God, and really want to live out the golden rule, that part of ahimsa, that part of this practice of kindness and compassion that is part of all religious traditions? So... It's one of the teachings that's really a um, common thread among every religious tradition, this golden rule. You know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's phrased in many different ways. But where do we start? Well, I would say that you know, looking at the principles and practices of Kriya Yoga, it's a rich, rich life path. And the yamas and, um, that we've been discussing have every instruction for how to transform and expand. And I think that the practices of Kriya Yoga, the principles of Kriya Yoga, have every tool for spiritual right action, for one, and just for transforming our entire experience. But as we walk the path of Kriya Yoga, we'll find that we naturally come into harmony with ourselves, mm. and that that extends to others. It's the natural outcome, mm. simply put. That's what I would say. Great. So we've got a little over two minutes left. So in closing of this very rich session for me, Priya, and I do really need to thank you for it. In closing, what words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to leave with our listeners? Mm. Well, I would say simply trust love and trust mm. God to be in the midst of all of this, every interaction, every difficult conversation, every tear, every tiny movement forward. Just trust and find and stand firm in a willingness to be an instrument of the divine process toward repairing our nature. This is just a sacred beginning of something that will change us, evolve us, and ultimately expand our capacity for love. Hmm. Wow. 
when I asked you for something inspiring, boy, you really delivered. <laughs> that was great. Wow. So calling, on, calling on love and calling on faith. Uh, just really, really beautiful. Really amazing. And with that, you've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of the show, and we've been discussing racism, spiritual practice, and compassionate right action with our guest, Reverend Priya Friday Pabros. She's the spiritual director of Thrive Kriya Yoga Meditation Center in Middletown, California. Reverend Priya is an associate minister at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment and a longtime disciple of Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. You can learn more about Reverend Priya's work at her website, meditateandthrive.com. Again, such a great name, Meditate and Thrive. It is part of truthfulness, <laughs> meditateandthrive.com. That's great. Thank you so much, Priya. I've really, this has been a, a, a very meaningful conversation for me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's mm -hmm. been a joy. So join me next time when I will be talking with Phil Goldberg, the author of the book, uh, Life of Yogananda, along with many other books, including his most recent Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times. But this is uh, the in the month of September, the Yoga Hour is going to be focusing on the celebration of the 100th anniversary of Paramahansa Yogananda's arrival in the United States in September of 1920. So this is this program that I'll have with Phil is the first. It'll be a series of three programs, all focusing on Yogananda and in celebration of this wonderful centenary. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living, in today's world. CSE World Headquarters is located in San Jose, California, where we, there are many, many online programs at the moment, um, a really very rich palette of online programs with Yogacharya O'Brien, with other senior teachers from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. There is a Sunday morning satsang from 10 to 11 every Sunday morning. There is daily meditation at 6.30 in the morning and also weekday meditation from 4 to 4.30 uh, Pacific time. These are all in Pacific time. There are also many, many other classes and programs you can participate in online. Just go to csecenter.org slash online programs or on that main csecenter.org webpage right on the page there is a link to um, the online programs remember to subscribe to the Ogara podcast wherever you get your podcasts and if you're finding it worthwhile maybe talk about it with a friend thank you to the Ogara team Founder, director, and host of the Yoga Hour, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producers Anne Hayes, Mickey Coronado, CSE's global media outreach manager Holly Gray, and Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at UnityOnlineRadio.org. So Priya, I have realized I'm a little early. So um, why don't can can you talk a little bit about the online programs you have through uh, Meditate and Thrive? Yes, I can. Uh, so we 
offer um, a morning meditation on weekdays as well. But our main program is Saturday mornings at 10 Pacific time. We offer Kirtan and meditation online, which is so, so joyous an experience. Um, and I offer classes as well right now, as um, you may know, I'm in California, so things are a little crazy here. And really? You don't say? <laughs> yes, just a little bit with uh, wildfires. So um, at this moment, we are paused yes. until we get back to our home studio to offer our programs. Yes. So for those who are not familiar with Kirtan, can you just describe it a little bit? Oh, yes, listeners, I... listeners may not be familiar. <laughs> yes, I can. So Kirtan is devotional chanting, and it is intended as a meditation practice to still the mind and open the heart. And often we do uh, many chants in Sanskrit, sacred language, um, because it feels good. <laughs> and because there's a long tradition of um, sacred chanting in Sanskrit. But we also do uh, chants from other faith traditions, and it prepares us prior to the time of meditation for our program. Mm. That's, that's lovely. One of the things I appreciate in Sanskrit is there are so many names of God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> many, many different ones that we can chant. And, uh, and it's lovely to think about all of the different ways that, the, that one God appears. Thank you for asking me that. Yeah. So we are at the end now. So for our <laughs> listeners, I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice activated technology, available on any Alexa enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.